0: Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you for his sufferings, for our sins. Thank you for his righteousness, for our unrighteousness. Thank you for bringing us to yourself through him, through his death and his resurrection. Now, Father, I ask that you would please speak to us clearly through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. I've always thought that this cross that we do every year is a good visual. I've always felt like it's a good symbol of what we're celebrating at Easter. But, as you know, it's very important to me that we move beyond symbolism to the substance. It's very important to me that um, none of us leave here with any vague sense of well-being just from having been together and seen beautiful flowers, but that we leave here with the concrete, sure gospel, good news of Jesus Christ. That it not just be something that affects us here while we're in the sanctuary, but there, out in real life. So, I just want to be very upfront with you. This is our the Easter message this year. Uh, I really only have one goal with it. It's my desire, my prayer, that any of you who may be here that do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord, that you come to salvation, that you come to put your faith in Him, and that any of you who are here that are believers, are Christians do trust and follow Jesus, would be renewed and strengthened in your faith. That's my only hope for this message. So I have no theatrics, no uh, cards up my sleeve. That's it. That's all I'm after. And the passage that we're going to look at toward this end is Mark chapter 8, verses 31 through Mark chapter 9, verse 1. And I would invite you to find it in your Bibles, although it will be projected as well. Mark chapter 8, beginning at verse 31. The reason we are in Mark chapter 8, verse 31, is because we as a church have been studying through Mark progressively, and this is where we land here on Easter Sunday, and if you are interested in the rest of Mark and you've missed any of those services, this is a great one for you to begin with us, because this marks a major transition, the beginning of the second act of the book of Mark. So I'm very glad that you're, you're here with us this morning. In this passage where we drop in, in Mark chapter 8, verse 31, the disciples have just begun to understand that Jesus is more than just a spectacular guy, and more than a prophet. He is the Christ. He is the long-awaited fulfillment of Jewish prophecy. They're just beginning to understand that he is the Christ, the one they've been waiting for to deliver them. And so Jesus, in this passage, begins to explain to them what that means what it means that he is the Christ, and what it means to follow him, what it means to be a Christian. And that's the message I want to transfer this morning, what it means to follow Jesus Christ. Let's read the passage together. Mark chapter 8, beginning at verse 31. And he, referring to Jesus, began to teach them, to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come, with power. Now, many people take as their big sign and their, their big signal that someone is a Christian as whether or not they go to church. Church attendance tends to be the big qualifier of whether or not one is a Christian. I've told you many times before when I'm out in the community getting my hair cut or whatever and someone finds out that I'm a pastor, they immediately begin to explain to me why they have not been attending church. As if, as a pastor, I have a clipboard, and I'm just going around, and I'm making sure, did you go to church Sunday? Oh, you didn't. As if that is the litmus test for a Christian. And what I'd like to do is allow Jesus' teaching here to reframe our understanding of what it means to be a Christian, from church attendance to a more biblical image that he gives us, Of carrying our cross. That's what he says there in verse 34. If anyone would come after me or wants to be a Christian, wants to be a Christ follower, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So being a Christian involves taking up our cross, which is a figure of speech that we'll talk about, and following Jesus. There's much that we could talk about in this passage, but for our Easter message, I really just want to highlight three dimensions of following Jesus Christ, three facets of being a Christian, three things that being a Christian involves so that we can properly evaluate ourselves and where we stand with with Jesus. So the first of these comes from verse 33. Being a Christian, carrying our cross involves setting your mind on the things of God and not man. A Christian is one who sets his mind on the things of God and not man. Jesus began in verse 31 to explain that as the Christ, he was going to have to suffer many things, including be put to death. And I suspect that as soon as his disciples heard him say that he was going to be put to death... They just sort of stopped listening and didn't hear the part about rising again. Because Peter, sort of representing the disciples, gets very upset and begins to rebuke Jesus. Rebuke is a churchy word that you'll only hear in church, probably. It basically means to say, you're wrong. So here Peter tells Jesus, no, you will not suffer and be put to death. No way. And Jesus sets him straight and says in verse 33... Get behind me, Satan. That has to be the harshest rebuke you can possibly receive from Jesus Christ. Why is he so angry? Why does Jesus get so angry? He explains, For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. So Peter could not see the things of God here. All he could see were the things of man. That Jesus was supposed to be the Christ, so he was supposed to come, set up an earthly kingdom, Deliver them from Roman oppression. Everything was going to be great. Peter and the disciples would be part of his entourage. And they were going to be high up in the kingdom. And Jesus says, no, you're missing it all. Because you're, you're not setting your mind on the things of God. You're setting your mind on the things of man. So for Peter, this looked like a refusal to accept the fact that Jesus had to suffer and die in order to be the king, the Messiah, the Christ. For us... It is basically the same, but I think it has a broader application. For us, setting our mind on the things of God and not on the things of man involves embracing his completely counterintuitive ways. You cannot become a Christian and keep all your worldly ways of thinking. If you still retain your worldly ways of thinking, you're probably not a Christian. If those ways of thinking are not being transformed over time. You're probably not a Christian. Colossians 3 gives kind of a portrait of this way of setting our minds on the things of God and not on the things of man. I'd like to read it to you. You can follow in your Bible if you'd like. It won't be projected. I really want you just to listen to God's word here. Listen to this as a portrait of what a Christian looks like. One who is taking up his cross, one who is setting his mind on the things of God, not on the things of man. And let this scripture be a mirror to you. Let this scripture reflect you. See how you look in relation to this passage. See if you are setting your mind on the things of God or the things of man. Because it's, It's no good to come in here and sing and celebrate Jesus' death and resurrection if we will not take up our cross and follow him. It does us no good. So this is very important. So look at this portrait and allow it to evaluate you. Colossians chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Now, that's a a deeply theological paragraph that deserves a lot of explanation that we're not going to have time for today. But it gets very practical now in verse 5. This is what it looks like to be a Christian. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice... Slander and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge, in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Jew and Greek, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. So here's a portrait of what it looks like to set your mind on the things of God and not on the things of man. How that works itself out practically into your character. Okay, this is part of the essence of being a Christian. This is what is involved. The second thing I'd like to point out to you from Mark chapter 8. Taking up your cross, being a Christian involves denying yourself. It involves self-denial. Looking back at verse 34. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. That word really means disown. Disown yourself. Many of you know the story later when Jesus is under trial and he's about to be convicted and crucified. Peter, his most vocal disciple, denies him three times. Three different times Afraid for his own life while Jesus is about to be murdered, Peter says, I don't know the man. I have nothing to do with him. The word for Peter's denial is the same word for denial here. We are to deny ourselves in the same way that Peter was denying Christ a little bit later. Self-denial. We are designed for selflessness, not selfishness. You are designed to worship God and serve people. When Jesus was asked what are the big two commandments, he said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. We believe that fulfilling these commandments fulfills our design. This is what God meant for humans to be like. Now, sin ruined all that and turned us inward. And we're all born with ingrown lives, ingrown hearts living for ourselves, loving ourselves, worshiping ourselves, serving ourselves. And this is at the heart of all of our problems as humanity, just a root selfishness. So our culture becomes all about self-esteem, self-actualization, self-promotion. We have this wonderful technology on our cell phones, meant to connect us with others and information, and we use it for that, but we often use it more for self-promotion through social media, telling everybody about ourselves and what we're eating and what we're doing and what we're looking like right now. Taking selfies, needing a stick so we can take better selfies. In this world, we are ingrown and we are suffering under the tyranny of the self. A huge part of following Jesus Christ, taking up your cross, is denying yourself, disowning yourself. The cross of Jesus Christ cracks yourself open so that you can step out and be freed, finally, from slavery to yourself. Jesus came in the ultimate act of selflessness. Following him involves selflessness. Listen to Philippians chapter 2. Beginning at verse 3. Here's a bit of a portrait of what it looks like to deny yourself. Do nothing... But emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Being a Christian, taking up your cross involves setting your mind on the things of God, not on the things of man. It involves denying yourself. And lastly, I'll point out from Mark chapter 8, it involves following Jesus. Just following Jesus. That makes sense, doesn't it? Look back at verse 34 in Mark chapter 8. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Follow me. You know, this idea of taking up your cross is figurative to us. You know, Will told me, Will Boston, our head trustee, moved this cross in here with a friend of his, and I was trying to coordinate with him so that he would come and do it at a time when I was here so we could do it together because it's very heavy. And it didn't work out, and I came in and the cross was here. And so I asked Will, did you do that on your own? He said, no, my friend helped me, but we did both try to carry it on our own just to see if we could do it. I think they were both able to do it. You know, that's, that's the closest we will come to literally carrying a literal cross. Now, for the disciples, it really was not figurative. And many of them did die bloody, painful deaths for being Christians, some of them on crosses. Church history tells us Peter was crucified upside down because he didn't see himself as worthy to die in the same manner that his Lord Jesus did. For us, it's more figurative. But the idea remains the same. It is a willingness and a determination to set our life aside for the sake of following Jesus Christ. And if it came, if it came to the point where you had to die for your faith and allegiance to Jesus Christ, you would do it. But in the meantime, it comes to living for Jesus Christ. Since I mentioned Peter, I want to read to you something he wrote in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 through 25. He wrote, he was talking to the church about suffering, and he wrote, "...for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return." Peter wrote that Christ suffered for us, leaving us an example so that we might follow in his steps. It's as though he walked a path and now we are just watching his steps, following in his steps. Even if it involves suffering, fully entrusting ourselves to God. It's very important to me that during our time together that we all genuinely took a look at our souls and our hearts before God, according to his word, that we did not come and and sing songs and then leave without genuinely considering, am I even trusting and following Jesus Christ? We've seen in Mark chapter 8 a few facets of what it looks like to genuinely follow Jesus Christ. Setting our minds on the things of God, not on the things of man. Denying ourselves, taking up our cross, following Jesus Now, if you, while hearing this, begin to feel that pressure and weight of the fact that you're not trusting and following Jesus Christ. What I don't want you to do is hit the eject button and just go numb and just make it through the rest of the service and go to Easter lunch and forget about it so you can get on with your life. What I want to do is invite you. I want to invite you to Jesus. Okay, I don't want you to feel condemned. I don't want you to walk out of here and feel like, I've got to do better. I've got to start denying myself more right away so God will love me. I've got to start trying to think more about spiritual stuff. Remember what Peter wrote in the second part of that passage. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. Okay, all of our failures here to live up to our design of selflessness, all of our failures here to set our mind on the things above, all of our failures here to deny ourselves, Jesus bore the weight of those sins. Okay, That's the whole point of the cross. You can be forgiven. You don't have to sweep it under the rug and pretend. You can be forgiven in Jesus Christ. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. That we might die to sin and live to righteousness. He died so that we could come to him, be forgiven, and die to our sins and begin to live righteously. By his wounds you have been healed. If your conscience feels guilty as you hear these things, if you feel shame and, and embarrassment, by his wounds you may be healed, made whole, made right. For you are straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseers of your soul. I want to invite you to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. Now I'll close the way Jesus concludes his thought here with the reasons why this only makes sense to do. Now I won't comment on it really, just listen to Jesus' words. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And he said to them, truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. There really is no other way to truly live except to give your life up for Jesus Christ. All other forms of life are a counterfeit. There really is no way to truly profit in this life except to give everything up for a treasure that is imperishable in heaven through Jesus Christ. Jesus is alive, and he is going to return. He is alive, and he is going to return in power and in glory, culminating his kingdom. He did not stay in the grave. So I implore you this Easter, in light of this good and joyous news, may it be good and joyous news for you. Set your mind on the things of God, not man. Deny yourself, take up your cross, follow Jesus Christ. Lord, I ask that you would please press deeply into our hearts and souls the truth of your word, the truth of the good news of Jesus Christ. That no one would walk out of here far from you and covered in their sins. That we would all come to Jesus Christ for forgiveness and reconciliation with you. I thank you that he died for our sins and I thank you that he arose from the grave to be our living Lord Thank you for Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen.